and sisters, uh, it's wonderful to be back with you again. Um, I met, Laura and I met a number of you last year, and we are thankful to be here once again. Uh, our desire had been to be in France by now, uh, but obviously the Lord had other plans. And uh, so I wanted to share with you, before we dig into the scripture together, I wanted to share with you some updates on uh, what the Lord has been doing. Uh, because when we shared with you last, I think it was last April that we were here, um, we had shared with you that our desire was to move to France in the fall, and obviously that did not happen. And yet uh, we see the Lord's divine hand and his sovereignty and his provision, uh, and we are just so thankful. Um, while we long to be in France, we are thankful for the days that we have. We're thankful for another opportunity to spend a weekend with uh, Pastor John and Kim and, and to share with you this I'm used to saying this morning, this afternoon, um, and uh, we have been so blessed uh, by your partnership. Um, uh, not many churches are like yours. Um, we have been pursuing partnerships with many different churches, uh, and yours was by far the quickest to make a decision, and for that we are very thankful. Um, and your contributions... Uh, are really making a difference because we are really, really close to making our way to France. So uh, if you would actually turn to our second slide, uh, here are some of the major things that the Lord has been doing in our lives these last 12 or so months. At this time last year, we were preparing our house to be put on the market it was put on the market on April 27th. By April 29th, we had seven showings, two offers, and on the 30th, we accepted. Uh, and that could only be the Lord. Uh, and uh, it was at a price far above what we could have dream, uh, dreamed of. And uh, the Lord was so gracious to us in that. Uh, in the meantime, we knew that we needed to find somewhere to live and the Lord provided us with free temporary housing, um, still in our kids' school district, which makes a huge difference for us uh, because we're going to be going through a series of transitions and some semblance of stability for our children was really important. But of course, that was outside of our control. And yet the Lord provided a place right on the edge of their school district, but nonetheless still in their same school. And uh, it's beautiful. We live on a farm. In fact, uh, you know, we have a baby bull now that was just born last Sunday. Our kids are super excited about, all, we're not responsible for the animals, but we, we get to enjoy the beauty uh, of God's creation on probably 10, 12 acres of land with chickens and cows and horses and fox and all kinds of other things. So the Lord has provided that housing and the understanding was that we would be moving out in October, but we are still there and we've checked in with those uh Dear friends that have let us stay there, and they have said, no, this is yours until you move. You do not need to worry. Uh, and so we are very thankful for that. Uh, a huge step in our process of moving to France was a pre-field training that lasted a month down in North Carolina in the, in the city of Waxhaw, which is home of JARS, which is Jungle Aviation and Radio Services. It's one of Wycliffe Bible Translators' affiliates. So basically what JARS does is that they, they do all of the support services for Bible translation. So if you're talking about getting a, a family to Papua New Guinea 
to start translating uh, the Bible into one of the many tribal languages that still does not have, have the scripture. JARS is the uh, organization that will fly those missionaries in. So they have all these, you know, planes and all these other infrastructure support systems that help missionaries go to make sure that the word of God is spread to every tribe and every nation. So we were at their headquarters with three dozen other missionaries, uh, several from World Team, which was our mission organization, a lot with Wycliffe and some from others. And we all came together to learn about what it's like to be a missionary, what it's like to serve cross-culturally. And we learned so much. And we, in just a few short weeks, developed friendships which we believe will last a lifetime, even if we don't see them again. You know, the beauty of this day and age is that we can stay connected through devices like these. And, uh, and so we regularly uh, chat and, and, and Skype with, uh, with friends that we made uh, on that, uh, on that uh, training. And, and the Lord uh, really opened our eyes to many of the different ways that missions happens. Um, last year at this time, we were, I believe, at 23% of our monthly support. We are now at 80.5% of our monthly support, and you guys are a huge part of that. We also, if you remember, if you were here last year, we had shared that we also have outgoing expenses, an account that covers all of the one-time expenses of moving overseas and setting up Laura's Language School, buying a car. That is at 100%. In fact, it's over 100%. And so the Lord has taken care of us in that way. And you'll see on that last... um, Last square, we are now preparing to leave for France this summer. In fact, on Friday, we heard from our mission leadership saying that they had approved us to start the application process for our French visas, because we need visas since we'll be staying there long term. And so we're excited because it's looking like either the end of June or at the latest, at the end of July, we will be going to France. (coughs) Um, So for the last... 16 months that we've been in this process of finding partners to send us to France, the most common question is, when are you going? And today is the first time we're able to put like a real answer to that. And we're so thankful, so grateful to the Lord. Um, you know, the, my sermon is actually that I'm going to be sharing with you in, in a few minutes has come out of some of the struggle that I've had with the Lord this year about waiting. Um, but uh, he's faithful. And he is good. And his time is not our time. And his wisdom is far above ours. And so uh, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. If you turn to the next slide, it's just a quick picture uh, of our family at the JAR Center. So that is one of the planes that they use to fly missionaries uh, to the remotest place uh, places in the world. Uh, in fact, we this was at what they call JAR's Day. And we had opportunity to get up and fly in one of those and in one of their helicopters. It was quite an experience um, and uh, you made me thankful I get to fly commercial straight to Paris you know we'll have all the uh, modern luxuries that we're so used to uh, and we believe that's what God has called us to but there are many missionaries who are going and sacrificing everything that they know so that every tribe every nation might hear the gospel next slide please This is exciting to us as well. This is a map of France, and you may or may not be able to see it, and I don't have a laser pointer. But if you have really sharp eyes, you'll be able to see a red dot towards the north of France. That is the town we're going to be living in. It's called Gisors, G-I-S-O-R-S. It's an hour northwest of Paris, 
It's actually on the southeast corner of the Normandy region. So we're all familiar with the Normandy beaches from World War II. Uh, we are literally two hours away from those beaches. So y'all come visit us. We'll, we'll take a trip. We'll show you that. We'll show you what the Lord is doing in France. Uh, we're excited about that location. We are joining a church plant that was established in 2010. And it was started by an American couple along with a French couple. They teamed up together. We have about 20 to 25 people in this church plant, which is fantastic after seven years, eight years now. Um, but the interesting thing is the Lord has moved both of those families on. The American families returned to the States because of health reasons. The French family has actually moved uh, probably about six, seven hours south to start another church plant. And so we'll be joining uh, another French family uh, that has just moved into that area to, uh, Lord willing, continue to develop this church and to continue to grow it and to continue to reach the lost in Gisors. Gisors is a small town of less than 13,000 people. Um, and uh, if you would turn to the next slide, you'll see a picture of Gisors. So this is an old medieval town built in the 13th century. <clears throat> And uh, as you can see, it's, it's not really beautiful or anything. I mean, it, it's, it, it's exquisite. <laughs> it is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, sorry, that was my attempt at sarcasm. Um, you know, uh, we are very thankful uh, because uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place, and yet it is spiritually dark. Amen. There is one church in this, in this town, and we are it. 25 people out of 12,699. Go to church. There's a huge, I mean, you can see the big Catholic church. I don't know much about it, but I know that the Catholic churches in this area are pretty much devoid of any gospel presence. And so <clears throat> we're excited uh, and uh, aware of our need for your prayers, not just your financial contributions, but your prayers are even more important because we are about to enter into a huge spiritual war. Um, and, uh, and more on that in just a minute. Um, and then if you forward just to the next slide, this is just another picture of where, you know, what the town looks like. So you can kind of picture what, where we will be on a daily basis. And <clears throat> one, of, one of the things I intend to do is to keep our partners aware of what's going on and kind of maybe do some like day in the life of, you know, the Moyers. And so we'll do some videos of walking to school and going to the bakery and doing all those kinds of things so you can understand what our daily life looks like along with the ministry stuff. So you can, you know, not just pray and wonder what it looks like, but, you know, really have a good idea of what that looks like. So uh, last slide before we uh, open the word. Uh, here are some of the things, just some of the things that we need your prayers for. We need to be at 100% by the end of June. That means we need $1,675 or $1,675 a month more in partnership before we go. Now, we trust that the Lord can do that. He has brought us so far, and we have uh, a lot of uh, potential churches. We have six churches currently evaluating partnership with us, as well as about a dozen individuals or families considering joining our team. Uh, I'd love for any individuals in this room to potentially consider joining our team. Um, but regardless of that, we need your prayers. Whether you're able to give financially, that's between you and the Lord. But we know you can give of your prayers. And we desperately long for your prayers. And we, we would ask that you would pray that we make more connections with those people that perhaps we don't know yet that will join our, our partnership team. Uh, 
most importantly is this is this second main bullet in the spiritual warfare. Uh, we are in a spiritual war. All of us, followers of Christ, are in a spiritual war, whether we are aware of it or not. Uh, as we get closer and closer to the mission field, we are more and more aware of the battle that we are facing. Whether it's nightmares uh, for some of our kids, whether it's Laura's health, whether it's just discouragement and lies that the evil one wants us to believe. You're not in France, so you must not be good enough. You know, you're not there yet, so you must have failed somehow. And so <clears throat> we're just battling on a daily basis. We need, you know, we need you as our partner to continue to pray and lift us up so that we can face those lies with the truth. And so that we can handle the health challenges, the nightmares, the, the anxiety, the, you know, whatever it is that we're going through. <clears throat> and the things that we don't know that are going to be happening between now and the time that we get to France and then in the initial months. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's, as beautiful as that town is, we're leaving everything that we know. We're leaving Laura's family. She has <clears throat> both her parents, both her brothers, all within 20 minutes of us, all 13 kids or cousins of, for my kids. They're leaving everything. And so please pray for us as we, as we battle. And pray for us as we transition, as we say goodbye. Yeah. Tomorrow will be our goodbye, probably, unless somehow we get to see each other before June or July. And we're thankful because that means we're moving forward. But you are precious to us. Uh, and our family is precious to us. Our friends are precious to us. And so this is, this is hard. <clears throat> and I pray for, you know, kind of the more general daily needs. We need a house to live in. Uh, we're praying for our school, for our kids' school teachers. France is not known for its kind teachers. Uh, you, know, they, you know, it's not a child-centered school like many of our schools are here in the States. It, you know, it's very hard and harsh. I pray that our kids would find favor with teachers that somehow might know God or be interested in knowing the Lord, uh, that that might make their transition easier. Laura has to learn the language. I already know French, but she has to learn. You know, pray for us and all these things, all our transition needs. So <clears throat> that's just a, a brief update. You know, we'll be around as long as you want after the service, after dinner. Well, we have a table upstairs. We can give you prayer cards to remind you to pray for us. Um, and uh, we're, we're really excited once again to be with you and to, to have you on our partnership team. We are just so, so delighted and thankful. Um, before <clears throat> we turn to the word... Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, so that we might uh, kind of re-prepare our hearts for... I love that song. I'd never heard it. Um, so uh, maybe send me the link to that song. I'd love to have that on my playlist. <clears throat> you know, how beautiful. We need to prepare our hearts to hear the Lord. Not to hear me, but to hear the Lord. You know, it's His Word. And His, his Word is, is alive and it is powerful. And I pray that you are encouraged this morning as we prepare to look in. Father God. <clears throat> we thank you. We praise you. Because you are good. You're all the things that we prayed about, or that we sang about just a few minutes ago. You are loving. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are all powerful and all knowing. You are sovereign over everything. 
even when it feels like life is out of control. It's within uh, your jurisdiction. It's either you making it happen or you allowing it. And Father, we long to trust in you with all that we have. And yet we hold back. I know I hold back and I confess that and I repent of that. I pray for my brothers and sisters this afternoon as we look into Isaiah 40 and as we look at what it means to run and not grow weary. Father, this life is hard. Relationships are hard. Jobs are hard. Addictions, health. So, so much about this life is hard because of the curse of sin. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we look into your word to find encouragement, to find strength, to be renewed in the way that you would want us to live. And so, Father, we we thank you, we praise you, we, we thank you for your revelation to us. You didn't have to speak to us, but you did. And for that, we're eternally grateful. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned during that brief update, our goal was to be in France by now. This journey of moving from being a pastoral family here in the States to becoming a missionary family overseas has been just that. It's been a journey. It feels like it's been a race and... For me, growing up, I was an athlete. I, you know, John and I were talking about this. I think over lunch, you know, he's like, "Did you play sports?" Yeah, I played. You know, I played pretty much everything but football because my mom didn't want my head banged in. <clears throat> and I grew up in France where they don't really have much football. But I played soccer. I played basketball. I ran track. I played tennis. Uh, you name it, I played it. And if it wasn't organized, I played it anyway. Uh, that's what I love to do. When I ran track, I was a sprinter. You know, you can kind of probably tell from my body type. You know, I don't have the long legs that are really designed for long distance running. You know, uh, I was a sprinter. I ran, you know, 100 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters. You know, at the longest, you know, the, the, the 400 meters, usually what, you know, for world champs, like 39 seconds. You know, for somebody like me, it was probably like 47, 48, 50, back in my prime. Um, but this journey to France has not been a sprint. It feels like it's been a marathon. And I, uh, I hear one of your members ran a half marathon. Is he here today? Yeah. Way to go, man. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, you don't just roll out of bed and do that, typically. <laughs> Unless you're a, a freak of nature and able to just do that. You know, to prepare, to, to run a race, to run a marathon, means that you are going to prepare Yourself. Otherwise, you're going to run that first mile and you're going to be sucking air and you're just going to give up. And I'll tell you, these last few months, probably about six months ago, I didn't feel like giving up, but I felt like I was sucking air. I was like, Lord, why, why are we not in France? We're giving everything up. We sold our house. We're ready to sell our cars. We're ready to go. Why are you not providing? I was telling Kim and John, in some ways... I felt like Jacob wrestling with the Lord, and he didn't dislocate my hip like he did Jacob, but he might as well have. He basically told me, Chris, stop planning and start trusting. Tough. Tough. And yet, 
That's what I needed because I was running and I was growing weary. A good athlete, when he's preparing himself, when he's training himself, is, is going to focus on physical training. So what does that mean? He's going to push the endurance or she's going to push the, 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 the boundaries of their endurance, their strength and their ability. They're not just going to, uh, yeah, maybe I'll run today, maybe I won't. You know, maybe I'll lift weights today, maybe I won't. No, they're dedicated to, to basically beating their body into shape. So if they are ready for whatever event, whether it's a half a marathon, a full marathon, you know, playing soccer, whatever you're doing, you're going to build up your body. But an athlete will also know that they need to give their body the kind of rest that it needs. Because if you're beating your body into submission, but you're not giving it the rest it needs, you're not going to be an effective athlete. You're going to crash and burn. But beyond the physical training and the rest, an athlete is going to also know that they need to fuel their body with the right kind of food. And man, as I've started to enter into middle age, I've really noticed this. You know, John and I talked about this too in recent times. I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted. It didn't matter. And now if I eat sugar, it goes straight to my gut. If I drink soda, oh my goodness. Um, and so, but an elite athlete knows that. Because they know that the fuel, the food, the the drink that they put into their body is essential one way or the other. If you give yourself bad fuel, you're not going to do so great on on the athletic field. But if you give yourself the proper food and drink, specifically water, you will be ready, as ready as your body can be. And then the athlete is always focused. A strong and elite athlete is going to be focused on the task at hand. A singular focus, kind of like the horses in the races. They, they have the blinders on. I remember that when I was, you know, and I, didn't, I wasn't an elite athlete, but, you know, I played in, in high school and in college. And when it was time to practice, when it was time to, to, to go to the game, and that meant the night before as well, because you need that rest, I had that singular focus. Singular focus. I think all of these things play into running the, the race of life without growing weary as well. And we're going to look at that from Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to start at the end, <clears throat> which are probably the verses that most of us are familiar with. And then we're going to track back and see how the Lord <clears throat> shows us how we can run and not grow weary. So Isaiah 40 Verses 30 and 31. It says this. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. That's the key. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Again, the key in these verses is not fainting and growing weary. It's not running. It's they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And so the question then becomes, what does it mean to wait? Because in my mind, when I, when I think about waiting, I think of you know, being at the doctors, which you know, when, you're, when you're a husband and you're a father... It seems like you're at the doctor's once a week at least, and this is what you do. You sit and you wait. It's a passive thing. You're at the doctor's mercy. 
And usually they tell you, hey, get there half an hour early and then they're an hour late. And you're like, man, I could have used this time much better. But that's a story for another day. (laughs) The word for wait here in Isaiah 40 does not have a passive uh, connotation to it. As I did my research and as I looked into the word, here are some of the main things that the word wait means. To look for, to hope, and to expect. None of those things give me the the idea that waiting is just this sitting on my duff and waiting for the Lord to do something. Now, of course, God is God and, and he can do whatever he pleases. But waiting, according to Isaiah, is not a passive thing. It's an anticipatory thing. It's it's an active thing. It's It's something that I believe Isaiah unveils for us in the beginning and in the entirety of this chapter. And so, as I looked at this chapter, one of the most beautiful, in my opinion, in the scripture. I mean, they're all beautiful, but this is one of my favorites. I see three different sections. Verses 1 through 5 talk about placing our hope in Jesus, our Savior. Verses 6 through 8 talk about looking eagerly into the Word of God. And then verses 9 through 29, which are the biggest chunk, talk about expecting to see the greatness of God. And so here you have these active Pursuits, Not just sitting around and waiting for God to do something, but placing your hope, looking eagerly and expecting. And so I kind of want to unpack that for us this morning. So in your scripture, in your, in your Bible again, let's read verses 1 through 5. Comfort my people. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Again, this is Isaiah chapter 40. Cry to her that her warfare has ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. A voice cries. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oh, those words are like balm to a broken soul. Now, context, you need to know context in order to understand what's going on. Chapter 39, Isaiah is revealing to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, guess what? Israel, they're going into exile. And so you have this, you know, kind of juxtaposition of bad news. Guess what? God's people are going into exile because of her, because of their sins. And then you have Isaiah chapter forty, perhaps one of the uh, one of the chapters with the greatest amounts of hope in the entirety of Scripture. Because listen to God's words: comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Their time of warfare has ended. They were about to receive forgiveness of their sins, even though they had received double punishment for their sins. Now, as you look into verses 3 through 5, if you're familiar with the Gospels, verse 3 probably sticks out like a sore thumb. 
Of whom does this verse, who does this verse describe in the Gospels? John the Baptist, right? He is the voice crying out in the wilderness, not just speaking of God the Father, but speaking of the one who is to come and save Israel. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this comfort for the nation of Israel, but not only for the nation of Israel, but also for us. I don't know your specific race. Not like ethnicity, but your race of life. (laughs) I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know how well trained you are for that race. I don't know how tired or fatigued or frustrated you are. Or how much maybe you just want to turn away. It's too hard. Prosperity gospel is a bunch of bunk. (laughs) Name it, claim it. No. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not proclaim an easy life. It does proclaim a life that can be comforted. A life that can be fulfilling. But also a life that is marked with suffering. You can't hardly turn a page without seeing that. In the Old Testament and New, that God's people suffer. Because we see, especially in the New Testament, whether it's James or Paul, talking about the fact that our trials, our suffering, are designed to grow our character. To develop perseverance and endurance and maturity. And so again, I don't know what kind of race you are running, or perhaps what the terrain is looking like. Maybe it's smooth right now. If I ask for a raise of hands, and I'm not going to ask, I would venture to guess that 10% or fewer in this room would say, you know what, the terrain in my life right now is smooth. There aren't any potholes. There aren't any hills. There aren't any detours. That's usually the nature of life. It's hard. It's hard. And so what do we do? How do we run the race? We have to look back to Isaiah and to the rest of Scripture and place our hope in Jesus. Jesus was the comfort that Isaiah was talking about or prophesying about. Jesus is our comfort. The Psalms talk about the fact that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. That is the Savior whom we serve. It doesn't say he removes their suffering. It says that he's near to their suffering. And so perhaps we need to shift our minds from running away from suffering to seeking comfort in our suffering. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. He will give us rest. It doesn't mean that he'll make our life easy, but he will give us what we need in the midst of whatever race we are running. As we prepare to move to France, I shared with you last year, really the nature of our ministry eventually will be to offer pastoral care. So counseling, training, marriage retreats, uh, retreats for the missionary kids. 
taking care of the spiritual, emotional, relational needs of our missionaries so that they can be as resilient as possible. Because ministry is hard wherever you are, but it's even harder when you're taken out of your culture and placed in a completely different one. And as I've been preparing, I've been reading uh, a really good book called Trauma and Resilience. And it's a book written by missionaries for missionaries. And, and, And the entire book is basically designed to teach and reach our missionaries in a way that helps them understand the nature of suffering. And so one of their chapters is called Theology of Suffering. I want to read to you just two short quotes from this chapter. They say, The Western church has drifted towards a consumer culture and a commitment to self-comfort. This reality has eaten away at our understanding of suffering and the cross. Suffering is not a question that demands an answer. It is not even a problem that demands a solution. Suffering is a mystery that demands a presence. The presence of Jesus Christ. If you're suffering, turn to the Lord. I am not standing here proclaiming that as you turn to him, he will take it all away. Our family suffers on a daily basis. My wife has chronic headaches. And instead of seeming to get better, it seems like they're getting worse. What do you do with that? How do you handle that? Man, her faith has strengthened my faith. Every time we've hit a bump in the road, I've thought, you know what? Laura's going to say, it's just going to be too much. I can't do this. But no, her hope is in the Lord. And the calling he has placed on our lives is so clear that we continue on. We march on. Not because it's easy, but because our hope is in the Lord. So as you wait on the Lord, as you seek to run this race without growing weary, place your hope in our Savior. He doesn't just save us from our sins. He saves us from ourselves and our tendencies towards protecting ourselves from suffering. He wants us to be healed through the power of his spirit. And so that means that we stop believing these lies that life should be easy. And we start believing the truth that our Savior is enough and that his grace is sufficient. Beyond placing our hope in the Lord in verses 5 through 8. We also see that Isaiah talks about waiting for the Lord by eagerly looking into his word. We see this in verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. And here's the key. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Verses 6 and 7 almost seem like they should be out of Ecclesiastes or Lamentations, kind of like a I mean, those are great books, but if you don't read them well, they can be depressing too. Oh, you know, life, you know, what is life? It's, it's here and then it's gone. That's true. 
Everything is temporary in this life. The joys of this life, of this earthly life, are temporary. Now, speaking of that, I'm a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. I'm in enemy territory here, but um, I'm I'm an Eagles fan. And so we celebrated a Super Bowl win. Hey, all right. I went to the parade. People were delirious. I mean, Philadelphia is known because of its name as the city of brotherly love. But there's not much love lost between people in that city. I lived there for eight years. I love it to death. But it's not the friendliest of cities. But these people, it's like, I didn't know them. They're like giving me hugs. And I'm like, dude, that's my personal space. But anyway, you know, the joy of, of a Super Bowl win. Well, how long does it last? Well, I listen to sports radio and the next day they're like, man, what are we going to do next year? I'm like, can't we just enjoy now? But in many ways, that's a microcosm of every joy in this life. It's here and it's gone. It's an endless pursuit. As Solomon would say, it's vanity. It's vanity. Pursuing joy in this life in an earthly, fleshly manner. But just as our joys are temporary, so are our trials. And I think that's important to remember. That, you know what? If you believe in Jesus Christ, Revelation 21 is true. That one day he will wipe your tears away. One day there will be no more sickness. One day there will be no more death. One day. (laughs) But until then... Trials are here. Trials are real. But let's remember that those things are temporary. And everything in between, the joys and the trials, it's all temporary. Except. Except this. Except this. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand Even after this world passes away, even after we're given new regenerate bodies, this word will remain. So, my proposition to you is this. Let's change our primary focus from our circumstances to God's word. From the temporary to the permanent. There is so much in this life that you and I cannot control. If I controlled it, I'd be in France and I wouldn't be speaking to you today. What a blessing I'd be missing. And hopefully it's mutual. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, don't, don't, yeah. Um, focusing solely on our circumstances keeps us from running well. When I ran track, it, you know, it was on a track, so it was smooth. Some tracks were better than others. And, you know, if, it, if there was a thunderstorm, you wouldn't run. But you have a different breed of runner that runs, you know, these mud runs like crazy people. I mean, sorry if I'm offending anybody. Actually, I I would like to try one of those once I get my body back into shape. But if you're running a mud run, which is really what it sounds like, you're basically running through the mud and going through obstacles from what I understand. And if all you're doing is focusing on your circumstances and complaining in your mind, why am I running through this? This stinks. You're not going to run it effectively. And it's the same 
as a follower of Christ, if all you're doing is looking at the negatives of life and saying, man, this life stinks. How how are you going to run well for the Lord? Because your eyes are not on Him. They're not on His Word. They're on the circumstances that are around you. That's so hard. And and this this isn't just a, a, you know, know, I'm going to commit to focusing on God's Word, and that's what I'm going to do. This is a daily thing. This is an hourly thing. This is a minute by minute, second by second, abiding in the Lord. Looking into his word. But it's not like we're just going to be opening his word and, and not doing any work. You know, no. Study his word may become part of your mind and part of your heart. So that even when you don't have it open, that is what you are focusing on. And I'm so thankful to hear you know, from Pastor John, Pastor Brian. That is the primary thrust of this church. That you would be men and women of the word. Not men and women of prosperity not men and women of the latest flashiest program men and women of character following God's word if you want to run this life well the race of this life well and not grow weary and not grow faint this must be your primary focus must be your primary focus this is just the first eight verses and you know I'm I don't know how much time I have, but I guess you're at my mercy. Um, (laughs) I'll try to be quick through the... And yet the the rest of the chapter, which is a much more significant uh, portion in terms of content, in terms of length, talks about waiting for the Lord by expecting to see the greatness of God. You just go through here and you see time and time again... Isaiah speaking to the greatness of God. Go up on a high mountain, verse 9. O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold your God. So so often we behold Everything but God. We easily see what we have or what we don't have in this temporary life. And as a result, we get proud if we see what we have and it's good. Or we get anxious and depressed if it's not what we prefer. When we seek comfort from God, from Jesus, as we looked at in verses 1 through 5. And when we look eagerly into God's word, we will come to expect To see the greatness of God. We will, as Isaiah says, we will behold Him. Behold the Lord. God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. God is mighty. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He is Omnipotent, all-powerful, able to do whatever he deems necessary and good. I do. And sometimes I wish he would exert that omnipotence according to my will. <laughs> but it's his will, not mine. Do 
Do you expect to see God work mightily right here in Bay Ridge? Are you praying that he would work mightily, not just in small ways, but in huge ways? And sometimes his huge ways are measured differently. Growth. Not numerical, but in your heart. Growth in the individual that you've been pouring your life into. The one that you've been praying for that's been so resistant to the gospel, but now is maybe open to hearing it. That is Almighty God at work. I think sometimes we expect Him to just heal us of all of our diseases. To save the masses. And can God do it? Yes, he can. And he still does to this day. The God of the Bible is the God of today. But God's might is not just demonstrated in those huge human ways. His power is demonstrated in sometimes the smaller nuanced ways. The things that sometimes we don't see. Not only is he mighty, but in verse 11 says he will tend his flock like a shepherd. Now listen to this. This is one of the most heartwarming verses, I think. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So you have here two different pictures of our God. He's the same God, but he is almighty. He's all powerful. He can, he can speak and make things happen. But he is also a tender, loving father. And as a father of three precious kids, this verse has a completely different meaning to me now. Because I didn't understand the... I mean, I understood the love of a father because I'm very blessed to have a wonderful father. But I I did not understand the level of his love for me until I had my own. Now, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'm harsh. Sometimes I'm hard. But man, one of my greatest joys in life is just to scoop up my kids. To hold them. Even as I'm disciplining them. Which happens far too often, seems like. Daddy loves you. Can't do that anymore. I want you to know that I love you. Nothing you will do will ever change that. Doesn't mean I will agree with everything you do. But I will scoop you up and I will love you and I will care for you. That is the love of the God of the Bible. He longs to hold you in his arms. In some ways, I wish that he had those physical arms. But guess what? His physical arms are the church. You are the love of God to one another. I know, just from having spoken to John and Kim, that this is a loving church. I know from our personal experience that this is a loving church. We feel welcomed here. Be that love of God to one another. God is mighty. He's a tender shepherd. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills and balance? Who has created all of this? Our God. He is amazing. I went for a run this morning down by the water. It was cold. But it was beautiful. I couldn't help but think, man, this is a beautiful place. Now, there are a lot of man-made structures around here. 
who is the great creator? Who is the great architect? Who is the one who gives people abilities to do those things? It's God. In verses 15 through 17 talk about the fact that nations are like a drop in the bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. In essence, there is no nation as great as our God, not even the mighty U.S. of A. I love our country to an extent. But from where I've been in the last 10 years, there's sometimes more of an allegiance to a flag than there is to a savior. And I would just caution and encourage you. If that is your perspective, if that's your lifestyle, if you're more focused on politics and on what's going on in this country than you are about what the Lord wants for your life, your priorities are out of order and you're not going to see the greatness of God. Verses 18 through 20 talk about The fact that no man-made idol can compare to God. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. No man-made idol can compare to the living, omniscient, omnipotent, all-loving God. When we focus so much on our stuff because the idols that Israel and the surrounding nations struggled with were that they were like statues I don't think that most of us struggle with worshipping statues but we do struggle with worshipping our paycheck our retirement our car our house our power our place in this world None of that compares. Throw that all out and expect to see God be at work. Because guess what? Verses 21 through 24 talk about his sovereignty. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain? And spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? God is sovereign. He is sovereign over everything and he's sovereign over us individually. This is mind-blowing. Like, I'm not even sovereign in my own house. I'm not. I just can't. I'm human. But God in his divinity... Is not only sovereign over my life, he is sovereign over it all. That is greatness. And so if you take a step back from whatever terrain you're running on right now in life, maybe it feels like it's uphill both ways, greased or iced over, right? And you're like, man, this is tough. Well, God is sovereign over that. Are your eyes on the terrain or are your eyes on him? Are you focusing on your circumstances, or are you focusing on him? And that leads us perfectly to verse 26, where Isaiah says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. Amazing. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. 
as we lift up our eyes and behold the greatness of God, we will be filled with comfort. We will be filled with hope. We will be filled with wonder. We will be filled with worship and faith. When we look beyond our circumstances. And he gives power to the faint. Verses 27 through 29. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? That's how I felt this fall. Lord, do you not see we've given everything up? We're ready to go. Why are we not going? That's how it felt. My way is hidden from the Lord. And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And here, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases his strength. If you are feeling weary, look up. Not at the ceiling. Look up to the Lord. Look up to the Lord and ask him to give you strength. I have yet to pray that prayer, Lord, give me strength, and for him to fail to give it. Now, sometimes I take it back and try to do it in my own strength. And he says, well, that's on you. He gives power to those who lack it. He strengthens the weary. He gives power to the faint. And my prayer for you, men and women, is that you run the race well. Because we're all running. Some of us are running in place. Some of us are running backwards. Some of us are running sideways. Some of us have maybe stopped. I feel like Isaiah 40 gives us a really great, not a formula, but but a program. A, a, a running program. Just like an athlete has a program to get himself into shape. This is a Christian program to get yourself spiritually fit. Spiritually fit. Go to the Lord for your hope, for your comfort. Just we looked at in verses 1 through 5. Look to Jesus. Look eagerly into his word. It doesn't say just open it, scan it, close it, good to go. No, look eagerly. What do, you, what do you get when you hear that word eagerly? It's, it's, it's this anticipa- anticipation that God is going to reveal himself to you as you open these words, as you open these pages. And you're being taught, I know, how to open and how to read contextually and to understand what God is saying. This isn't just something for Pastor Brian and Pastor John to say, well, this is what the Lord says. That is part of their role. But you as followers of Christ have been given the spirit. And as you learn what it looks like to open the word and to study it for yourself, God can reveal himself to you because of that. Look eagerly, seek the Lord. He is so good in his word. And take your eyes off of your circumstances, whatever they might be, doesn't mean you ignore it all, but it means that your focus shifts. Shifts from what ails you or whatever is great. And you shift it to the Lord because He is the one. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who's given everything to you. 
And so I just want to close by reading those last few verses. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would help us to wait well. Lord, not wait passively, but wait with great hope by looking into your word and by expecting to see your greatness. Father, you are good, you are perfect, you are loving. You are a tender shepherd who longs to bring up his sheep into his arms. Father, minister to each person in, the room, in this room as they need in this specific moment. Some of us need that tender shepherding love. Some of us need the shepherd's rod to move us forward. Others of us just need to be reminded that you're there. Father, speak. Speak through your word. Speak through your people. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus.